think, yeah, there we go. All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. All right. It is, uh, it is good to see all of you. I hope all of you have had a wonderful week. Um, I know that I'm excited for us to be able to gather together again here this week and uh, to jump into God's Word together. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead, turn to Mark chapter 10. We are going to be continuing our time together through the Gospel of Mark, looking at what Mark has to say to us about Jesus, our need for Him, and the coming kingdom. And uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But I'm sure for all of us in the room, or for many of us in the room, uh, we do have an inordinate number of people who work in education, um, in addition to the number of people that have children. And so these weeks have been very busy. Uh, I know in the Hickman House, and I'm sure for many of you as well, it seems that every year when the calendar turns to August, that the slow, steady, happy pace of summer is quickly replaced by the uh, rapid... um, not rhythmic, also not as happy uh, pace of the school year starting again. And this was true uh, for me even before I was working at a Christian school for most of my adult life, serving in pastoral ministry, and for 14 of those years uh, at a local church here in the Triangle Providence Baptist Church, primarily in age-graded ministries, whether it was 10 years in student ministry or four years working with children and young families, When the calendar would turn to August, that also meant that the new church ministry year was coming up fast as well, making sure that we had everything in place for our Sunday school classes and our small groups and all the other things that we needed to offer to serve the children and families at the church. And um, when I stepped into the role in children's ministry, that meant recruiting somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 to 250 volunteers that would serve every week. I am comforted by the shock on all of your eyes as I say that number. That actually brings great delight to my soul. Um, But yes, that was a very large task. And having never had to recruit that many people for any task before in my life, um, and by the way, seminary does not prepare you for that, um, I did what any rational, normal, wise person would do. I googled it. How do you recruit this many volunteers for a children's ministry? And uh, it it was awesome. And I did glean a lot from that. And it seemed that every article or blog post or sermon or conference message or whatever it was that was out there all centered around this passage that we have before us today. Mark 10, 13 through 16. And about Jesus's love for children. However... Um, the thrust of what most of those articles and blog posts and sermons and conference messages were trying to say is that this is a great opportunity to be able to lovingly remind people of Jesus's love for children and also at the same time that Jesus gets very, very angry with people who prevent children from coming to him. Therefore, through the loving persuasion of guilt and manipulation, please make sure you fill all of these volunteer slots. Now, I hope you all understand that is not going to be the way that I'm going to approach the text for us this morning. Um, That is not going to be the angle that I'm going to take. Um, Guilt, fear, and manipulation are not at the heart of the gospel. And uh, by the way, that strategy was also not my method for looking for volunteers. Um, But the central points of a lot of what I read and and a lot of what I gleaned is at the heart of this text. 
Jesus does love children. He absolutely loves children. And he is very, very concerned about making sure that no hindrance is placed on them that would prevent them from coming to him. So how can we make sense of this today in a way that is faithful to the text without getting out on the branches of the tree that might break and cause us to fall? Well, let's dive in together and have a look. And I'm going to read these verses again for us real quick, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll look together at this encouraging passage. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive together into Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather today. We thank you so much for what you have to say to us from your word. Father, we thank you for what this passage is going to show us about who you are. We thank you for what this passage is going to show us about ourselves. And ultimately, we thank you for what this passage is going to show us about Jesus and our need for him. And so, Father, we we pray this morning that you would open our eyes and open our ears and that you would open our hearts, that you would work through weakness in me, and that Jesus would be honored and glorified and magnified in what is said here today. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can follow along there in your Bibles as I read aloud here, Mark 10, 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is God's word. There are three things this morning that we will see in this passage. And first is a very simple thing. It's that we should bring our children to Jesus. We should bring our children to Jesus. Right from the start here in verse 13, we see some very encouraging activity taking place. We see little children being brought to Jesus so that Jesus could bless them. Look there again at the first part of verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. Now, real quick, we need to talk about three things here. We need to talk about the word they. We need to talk about the word children. And we also need to talk about the setting and situation that we find ourselves in here. We see this word they here in verse 13, and we should say, who is this that is doing the bringing of the children? Well, we don't know specifically, and we also don't get help from either Matthew or Luke in their telling of this story. But it is easy to infer here that it was parents who were bringing the children to Jesus. It's easy for us to see that here, but it literally could have been older siblings neighbors, or anyone that was bringing these children to him. But the point is less about who was bringing the children than it is about that children were being brought. Now, to the word children, Matthew and Mark both use the word children, but Luke says infants. Is there a difference and does it matter? Well, no, there isn't really a big conspiracy about the use of this word. Whether they were babies or small children, we can easily see here that they were small enough to not be making this decision themselves, and they were also small enough for Jesus to take them in his hands and his arms. And we'll see that in verse 16 in a little bit. 
And finally, the setting here and the situation surrounding the story. Do you notice something different about this encounter than we have seen in previous encounters in the Gospel of Mark when people were bringing other people to Jesus? Usually when we have seen this before, people are bringing other people to Jesus for Jesus to heal them or to perform some miracle. But not this time. Not this occasion. No, they are bringing their children to Jesus for Him to bless them. Now, there is much that is written about Jewish culture and the act of blessing and the way that people would bring people to priests and rabbis and other people to confer a blessing. This shows that they understood that there was something special about Jesus. This is why they're bringing their children to Him. They are asking something of Jesus to be sure, but it's not for a miracle. In their minds, they truly just want the blessing of this special individual. And there is so much that we could mine just in this little half of a verse. But time does not allow it this morning. But what a beautiful picture here. We see parents bringing their kids to a man that they know to be special. Now we know that they don't fully know everything there is to know about him or how special he is. But they do know there is something different about him, and they are bringing their children to him so that he could bless them. And this is the encouragement here in this verse. We should bring our children to Jesus as well. And by our children, I don't mean this just for parents. No, this is true if you are a teacher, or an aunt, or an uncle a grandparent, a neighbor, a family friend, an older sibling, whatever your relationship is, if you have or are around children in your immediate sphere, you should be bringing those children to Jesus. And I don't think there would be disagreement among us here this morning on that point. At least I hope there would not be disagreement among us on that point. I think for all of us who love Jesus and have been saved from our sins by His grace, we would long to see the children that we love come to Him as well. Bring children to Jesus. Okay, yes and amen. We have that and we agree. And it is why starting there is so important to lay a foundation because it's what we see next that will seem striking. Yet I pray it strikes our hearts as well. And this leads us to the second thing that we will see this morning, and that is that we should not hinder our children from coming to Jesus. If the first half of verse 13 is super encouraging, the back half is not, at least not at first glance. We see the 12 doing something that I hope we find odd at minimum and shocking at maximum. They begin to rebuke and scold these families. Look there at the back half of verse 13. And the disciples rebuked them. They rebuke them. And this is where we get to the heart of this passage. Yes, this passage is about what Jesus has to say about his love for children. But that is only part of this passage. It is also what he wants to teach the twelve and also us about who he is and why he came. And Jesus will do this simultaneously, declaring his deep heart love for children and also using these children as an illustration 
to his ultimate purposes and his plan. And we need to remember this pattern of behavior has been going on now for a while with the twelve. They have been growing more and more stubborn and more and more resistant to what Jesus is trying to teach them and communicate to them. Whether it was Jesus calming the storm or multiplying the loaves and fishes, not once, but twice. Or walking on the water or slowly starting to spell out for them why he was sent. Or on the Mount of Transfiguration or casting out demons We're arguing about who would be greatest or being jealous that others could cast out demons. Time after time after time, the disciples are showing that they just don't get it. They don't get it. And on this one here specifically, we might be willing to cut them some slack. They know the demands that Jesus is facing. And he's facing crowds. He's facing opposition. He's facing pressure, not enough time in the day. We might think they are probably just wanting to protect Jesus for a little bit here to let him recharge. But we've already seen Jesus' own family doing this, and the disciples would have heard what Jesus' response was to his own mother and brothers and sisters. And so when we look here, we really have to look deeper. And truly what is most likely happening here is that they are revealing their own hearts and how the culture of their day has captured their thoughts. In this time, children were not seen as a blessing in Roman culture, but they were seen as an inconvenience at best. I will spare you all the horrid things I read about this week that most civilized cultures of that day thought about children and then also acted on those thoughts. But you could probably imagine some of the horrors that children in that day would face. But we do know that Jewish culture was supposed to be different. All throughout what we know to be the Old Testament scriptures, we see over and over and over again the declaring of the blessing that children are and God calling his people to honor and to nurture and to develop and to train and to instruct these dear ones in the fear and the love of his name. Yet even when Jesus himself was a baby, We see how this call that we see all throughout Old Testament Scripture had been overridden by the culture of the day when Herod himself did the unthinkable and instructed the murder of babies for his own self-preservation. Most likely what we see happening here is that the twelve are letting their elevated view of themselves jade their view of these precious image bearers. Seriously, babies? Come on. We've got more important things to worry about. and We've got more important people to give our time to. And if you think this is a stretch, we've already seen the hearts of the twelve on full display in arguing about who would be the greatest. And we're going to see in the coming weeks them still arguing about the same thing when James and John are requesting of Jesus who gets to sit at his right and his left and how that spills over among the rest of the twelve. This is the height of pride and arrogance that is spilling out of the twelve here. And Jesus has had enough. He's had enough. And he's going to lay into them. Look at the beginning there of verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. 
Now, I want us to know and I want us to understand the weight of this word. He is more than greatly annoyed here. Okay? One translation states it as Jesus was greatly displeased. And while the original might allow for that interpretation, it fails to convey the weight of what is really happening here. Literally, this word means that he was much grieved. Jesus is deeply grieved by the disciples' actions, and he is going to rebuke them with strength and warn them. Look at the rest of verse 14 here. He said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, please see and know that this is not a gentle command that Jesus is making here. There is force behind these words. Let them come. Do not hinder them. I don't know about you. I can only speak for me. But when I am indignant, most certainly and most often not righteously, mind you, it doesn't sound like, guys, seriously, can we just let them come? I mean, just come on. Bring bring them on up to me. No, there is force, and this is what we see here. Jesus is going to make his point, and he's making his point on who he is, and he is going to use the children as an example to drive this home. But let's take it in order here. First, let's deal with the children specifically, and then at our next point, we'll deal with the application of how this filters down to us. Remember, this is direct truth regarding children but it is also an illustration for our own hearts as well. The command here is to the twelve. It is directly to them, but it is for us as well. We should not hinder children from coming to Jesus. And I have struggled mightily with how to phrase that this week. Like literally even this morning, going back over these notes, I have struggled with how to phrase that. Because it really should be that we must not hinder children from coming to Jesus. We've just seen two weeks ago at the end of chapter 9, Jesus himself making this point. The twelve are arguing about who would be greatest. Jesus takes a child and sets it in the middle of them and uses this child to make his point. Quit arguing and humble yourselves. See the example of this little child and pattern yourselves after this. And then he goes further and tells them that it would be better for a millstone to be around their neck at the bottom of the sea than for them and how they live to cause little ones to sin and be led astray. And now back to our text this morning. We've already seen Jesus' love for children. It is a deep, deep love. We just saw that at the end of chapter 9. And truly, we must not hinder them from coming to him. And here's where I want to give a gentle encouragement for all of us here today. And I literally mean all of us, but especially for moms and dads. And I want you to hear me, and I want you to hear me with love. You will hinder them. You will hinder them. Now please, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I am in no way at all saying you should intentionally look for ways to hinder your kids from coming to Jesus. I I hope from the bottom of my heart that you know that. And if you think that is what I'm getting at, and you're thankful I might have given you an out on this, please come see me after, and truly in love, and I mean in love, I will walk you through why that is in no way what I am saying here. But here is what I am saying. And there are many ways that we set up hindrances for our children. 
But there are ways that we end up hindering our children by trying to make sure that we do not hinder them. And this is a word of encouragement, and I hope it encourages you. You will never be a perfect parent. You will never be a perfect parent. You will fail in your task multiple times today. Not just this week, not just this month, not just this year. Today, you will fail. You will never get it completely right. As parents, you and I are sinners. And sinners sin. And sinners often sin against other people. And unfortunately, our children are sometimes who we sin against most. We will fail in this task. Additionally, your kids will never be perfect either. And trying to ensure that they will be is not a healthy way to navigate this life. For you, but most importantly for them. And I hope you will find encouragement in that. And here is why this is encouraging. Because if you were a sinless, perfect parent, or they were sinless, perfect children, there would be no need for the sinless, perfect Savior. And this is what the heart of this text is about. It's not if you will hinder them. You will. It's what you do when you hinder them. Humble repentance. Running to your heavenly Father and resting in the mercy and grace He shows you in Jesus. Then immediately running to your sinful earthly children and confessing how you have sinned against them and asking them to forgive you and modeling what life with Jesus looks like. This is the heart of the gospel. We share this Tim Keller quote often. The gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. Do not hinder them. Be running ahead in mercy and grace, removing and tearing down every hindrance. But when you do hinder them, when you do, be quick to run to Jesus, confessing your sin and resting in grace and start removing all the hindrances again. Jesus loves children and longs for them to come to him. Let's be doing all we can to ensure they have safe passage to hear and to respond to the message of his love for them. And quickly here, if you are here and are not a parent or do not have direct relationship with children, I assure you this is applicable for our relationships with all people. We should not be trying to set up hindrances with anyone. We should be removing hindrances with everyone that needs to hear the gospel. And so this is applicable for everybody. We should be removing all hindrances for anyone that needs to come to faith in Jesus. And this leads to our final point today. Like children, Jesus' love for us, Jesus loves for us to come to him as well. This message is not just about children, and it's not just for, those, for parents or for those directly involved with kids day to day. This message is for all people. Remember, Jesus is communicating two things at once here. He is communicating his love for children and his exhortation to the twelve. 
And we see that exhortation in verse 15. Look there with me. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now what does this verse mean? Well, let's talk about what it doesn't mean first. This verse does not mean that only children can come to faith in Christ. Now, there is great statistical data out there that shows there's a higher likelihood of someone coming to faith in Christ the younger that they are. But this is not saying that only a child can come to faith in Jesus. It's not what he's saying here. It also doesn't mean that only children can go to heaven. That's also not what Jesus is saying here. Remember, this is an illustration that Jesus is using here by direct example of literal children. The point here is a direct response to the pride and arrogance and stubbornness of the twelve. Remember what they're doing here. Remember what they have been doing previously. What Jesus is saying here is that just like these little ones that were brought to him were dependent on someone else to meet their needs, we must never forget that we are in that exact same condition. Just like these children could not be left to depend on themselves for life, we are in that same condition. Left to ourselves to provide and save ourselves, we are no different than a child in our chances for survival. There is nothing in ourselves that can provide for and deal with our problem. By ourselves, we have no hope. We are literally hopeless without hope. And this is what Jesus is trying to get the 12 to see here yet again. Looking inward is not the answer. No, looking at Him is the answer. The simple dependence of a child with their parents is the message of the gospel. Just like little children... Because of our sin, we are helpless and hopeless, and we cannot take care of ourselves. It is impossible. But thanks be to God that he has not left us there. Paul shares this encouragement with us in Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read this for us starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at that. While we were still weak. That is the picture of a child. Needy not able to provide and care for themselves, unable to do anything to sustain their own life. While we were still weak, Jesus came and lived the life we could not live. And He died the death that we deserve to die so that through faith and repentance we could find hope and help and life and strength in Him alone. Not in anything that we can do. Not in a list of rules to keep. Certainly not by elevating ourselves above other people. No, seeing who we are in light of the cross and being humbled by our sin to run to Him for life. 
That is the heart of this passage. And so a question today for everyone here. Would you trust him with your life today? Like a child having to trust their parent. Would you trust him with your life today? This is an ask of everyone here. Everyone. Young or old. Small or big. Walking with Jesus. Not walking with Jesus. Or not even knowing his name. Would you trust him with your life today? In light of what we have heard today, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this good news that Jesus lays out for us here? Well, there's three simple ways. The first is this. Let's bring everyone to Jesus. (laughs) Let's bring everyone to him. Yes, in this text, specifically children, But as we've said already, this good news is for all people. It's for all people. So let's share it freely and let's spread it widely. Let's bring people to him. Let's let let them see his love and his mercy and his grace. His tenderness, his care, his compassion. Through his sacrifice to save sinners like all of us. Let's bring everyone to Jesus. The second thing is this. Let's remove all hindrances by our repentance and our resting in grace. We are not perfect. Everyone around us is not perfect. Our children are certainly not perfect. So let's confess quickly and let's repent often and let's rest in grace constantly. And this happens all the time. For me, every day, first period Bible, one of my children sits right in front of me. That is a great reminder to be making sure that I am repenting and confessing and trying to remove hindrances before I dive into God's word with him. But it's not just a reminder for me and him. It's a reminder for me of every student in that room. Let's remove all hindrances. Let's confess quickly, repent often, and rest in grace constantly. And let's run to Jesus constantly and remember how dependent we are on him. He is life. He is everything. Literally everything for us. Verse 16, I love this verse. Let's look at it together there. It says, and he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. It's just such a beautiful picture here. These arms that would be stretched out, these hands that held these babies being held to a cross by nails, the tender compassion that he would have here is the same tender compassion that he has for all that would come to faith in him. And so let's rest in his arms and let's be held by his hands and let's rejoice in the blessing of life in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these verses. We thank you so much for the encouragement that they provide for us today. Father, such encouragement here. All of us are going to mess up and be spectacular failures in how we try to model who you are to a lost world. Whether that's our coworkers, whether that's our neighbors, especially our spouses and our children. Father, may we rest in the hope that you give us in the gospel here. May we see our need to humbly depend on you. 
May we never think that there is anything in us that is worth depending on. May these verses convict us and cause us to run to you and rest in grace and to run to your arms and be held by your hands as we are reminded of your love for your children. May we be moved by that today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.